helped you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Mill City. Good to be with all of you and want to welcome everybody online. Good to be with you as well. Uh, thankful for technology and the ability to uh, stay connected in that way if you're unable to be here. Uh, if you're brand new with us here today, just for sake of introduction, my name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I'm excited for the message today. <laughs> some, of you, some of you are nervous. Uh, in 1967, this ad came out. New Ultra Bright is for toothpaste. Gives your mouth sex appeal. Now, you may not be able to read the fine print, so I'll read it out loud to you. New Ultra Bright, the extra strength toothpaste, turns off bad breath, turns on the brightest teeth, the kickiest taste. Kickiest. Don't you love that? I do. <laughs> but this is a pretty revolutionary ad in 1967. Sex appeal. It was in the middle of the, 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 the free love hippie movement that has continued and intensified ever since. And now uh, that seems like nothing. And now we have uh, oftentimes what looks like soft porn in our supermarkets as you check out on the front of magazine covers and internet pop-up ads and scantily clad women selling hamburgers and cars and all those types of things. We live in a world and a society that has been saturated by sex as a way of expressing and communicating sexual freedom. The reality is God has something to say about sex. Now, that doesn't play well in a culture that says, no one tells me what to do. It doesn't play well in a culture that says, my body, my choice. It doesn't play well in a culture that says, follow your heart. You be you. But not only does our culture idolize desire, it also idolizes pleasure. And so it's free reign because that supposedly is the outcome. And when that has been idolized in a world also where, where there is no common virtue or moral knowledge, meaning like, like a universal law would be the universal law of gravity. It's something that just is and everybody comes around it and recognizes it. In the same way, there is no common virtues or universal laws in relationship to what's appropriate, what's not, and where the boundary lines lie. And as a result, been replaced with personal opinions and feelings. And so in our day and age, love is separated from sex, and sex is separated from responsibility. I love how Ronald Rollheiser, theologian, theologian and author, says in his book, The Holy Longing, he says, there has been a divorce in Western culture between religion and eros, eros being romantic love. Like all divorces, it was painful, and as in all divorces, the property got divided up. Religion got to keep God, and the secular got to keep sex. We're moving through the Sermon on the Mount, and in this particular passage, Jesus remarries them. He brings together God and sex and gives a kingdom vision of sex and relationships. And so here we 
find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So Jesus starts off by referencing the Ten Commandments, specifically the Seventh Commandment, when he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, he goes on to say, but I tell you, now he is not contradicting it or throwing away the Ten Commandments. He's not throwing away this particular commandment. He's giving original intent. Another way of saying it is, what you thought it means is this, but I want to say to you what it really means is this. Now, maybe just to make sure that we're all on the same page, I'm going to give a definition of adultery that hopefully is helpful. Having sex with someone who is not your spouse, which seems simple enough, um, but I think that it's helpful then to incorporate that into something that's pretty prevalent in our day, and that is sex outside of marriage. If you're having sex outside of marriage, you're having sex with somebody who's not your spouse. Man, it is quiet in here today. Now, Jesus in this particular passage is talking to men. He Notice how he doesn't say in any woman who looks at a man. The reason for that is because this was a very male-dominated patriarchal society. And as a result, oftentimes men got their way and kind of did what they want without any repercussions. And so not only is Jesus correcting men, but he's also elevating women. That being said, women, there is a... There is application for all of us here, and so please don't check out. Jesus, in these statements that started last week where he he said, don't murder, he references again one of the Ten Commandments. He says, but I say to you, he repeats that several times. He's addressing the way that, that religion would just say, if you don't do this, everything's fine. See, religion says manage your behavior. But Jesus says, let me transform your heart. I want to get to the root of what's really going on. It's not that the Ten Commandments are bad, but that Jesus is making a play for the values and the intent in the human heart. He's going deeper. Meaning you can have an ordered life or what looks like an ordered life and be ruled by disordered desires. To have something going on on the inside that can, that can be causing chaos and leading towards destruction. Disordered desires are a result of and driven by sin in our world. The ways that, that good things have been warped. And so today he's talking about the disordered desires surrounding sex. He says that a disordered desire of sex looks like lust. He says, don't look at a woman lustfully. Now, Jesus is not saying that we need to be less sexual. God made us to be sexual beings and gave us sexual desires. 
Jesus is not prohibiting the appreciation of beauty or finding someone attractive. Temptation is not something that Jesus is saying is a sin. Jesus himself was tempted. See, Jesus is saying that to have sexual desires, to be a sexual being, to appreciate beauty, to notice someone to be attractive, to be tempted, is to be human. But he is addressing what we do with those desires and those temptations. And he says, don't look at a woman lustfully. This word lustfully is a, is a little bit of a tricky word to translate from Greek into English. And so we don't really get the full uh, idea of what he's trying to say in that one word. What he's, what he's saying is, don't look at a woman with lustful intent. Or don't look at a woman in order to or for the purpose of consumption. And he says, don't look at a woman. We might think, well, what am I, women are everywhere. What am I supposed to do? The word look is not just like notice or look. Or, it's to stare with the purpose or the intent of gaining sexual gratification from her body. And so in some ways what Jesus is saying is that adultery, the physical act, starts with a stare. Because nobody wakes up one day and says, you know what, I've got a wonderful marriage, love my kids, just love how this is going. You know what, but I think I'm going to destroy it today and go find somebody to go sleep with. No, it doesn't start on that day as if it was with nothing else was going on. It starts weeks and months and years and maybe even decades prior, something growing. Something being fostered so that when the right situation, the right person, or the right thing comes along, you step into it. So our definition for lust today is using another's body for immediate sexual gratification. It's objectifying someone else. It's depersonalization. It's dehumanizing. Because we're not seeing somebody or treating someone as a fellow image bearer of God. One of the ways that this gets expressed and the ways that this gets engaged in a significant way in our culture is porn. Pornography, a, a multi-billion dollar industry takes up a significant portion of the internet. I remember when I was growing up, before the internet, back in the Middle Ages, <laughs> you used to walk into a convenience store and, and there was magazines behind the counter and the, and the magazines that were pornographic had, were wrapped in plastic and had black on the front side so you couldn't even see the cover. Today, you basically carry all that around in your pocket. And as a result, the first encounter on average for a male in our culture is, with pornography is nine years old. But it is not just a male problem. Of all of the visits to pornographic websites, 33% of them are women. Of those who have had an extramarital affair... 300, they are 300% more likely to have consumed porn ahead of time. Now in our world, as this has grown and continued and proliferated through the internet, 
it has become actually somewhat more acceptable and normal. A survey was done not too long ago of teens and young adults, 16 to 34, and they found that 90% of teens and young adults found pornography to either be a positive, they were positive on it, or neutral, 90 plus percent. And the majority of them found porn less objectionable than not recycling. The reason was because they saw not recycling as having an impact on the earth and having an impact on others, whereas porn is like, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, then I can do whatever I want. But the law forbidding adultery in the Old Testament and Jesus here in the New wasn't just a matter of personal morality. It was a matter of social stability. Women and children were most impacted by adultery and the breakdown of the family. And the same is true today. One of the leading causes of poverty in the United States is the breakdown of family and single parenthood. And porn does have an impact beyond our own selves. Not only on the family in that particular way, but even in the way in which somebody might relate to the opposite sex. Porn destroys the ability to relate to your spouse. It trains one to objectify the opposite sex. One organization trying to help says that porn kills love. So you might think, wow, let's just get rid of that desire. Now, I know that why we might say that. I love what Rich Velotis, the author of The Deeply Formed Life, one of our overseers says. He says, the love of God doesn't remove our desires. It reorders them. If they're disordered, they need to be reordered. Now, there is, because we believe in a God who can redeem any and all things. There's no aspect of our humanity that God does not seek to redeem or that doesn't need redemption. As many of you know, I have four boys, ages now 13 to 19. So this subject is an important subject. It's an important subject in any home with kids of any gender. We've talked about the pitfalls and the difficulties, and, and, and not only in warning, but we've also talked about it as, as they've stumbled along and walked through life and stumbled onto pornography. And one of my boys was, well, uh, uh, was interacting with a girl at, in sixth grade, telling her that he loved her, and, 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 I, you know, and I'm like, well, um, you know what I did? I said, I bless that desire. Now, you need to stop the letters. <laughs> but I bless the desire. Oh, you stumbled onto pornography? I bless the desire for intimacy. Wrong direction. Parents, bless the desire, correct the direction. Too often we're like, that's wrong, stop, stop. And, and it does something about how God made us. See, there are places that it should go, not and times that it should go, but it needs to be put into the right place. 
See, it's kind of like if I was cold right now and I thought, I need to warm up. And so, as a result, I'm going to build a fire. And so, I'm going to build a fire right here. And let's just say I, built, I, I lit these logs on fire. For a moment, I'm going to, like, gain some warmth and comfort. It's going to be nice. But we let this go for a while, and we can burn the building down. That's not so much comfort and warmth anymore as much as it is destruction. Or I could take these same logs, and I can put them into a fireplace. And they will burn, and they will create the warmth and the comfort. And they will continue to do so. Why? Because there's boundaries around it. Fire is good, it's just got to be in the right place, at the right time, with the right person. And the boundaries that God has given for that is within the bounds of covenant relationship. See, God's way of sex and relationship leads to flourishing. Our way, outside of God's way, leads to destruction, which is why that Jesus says in these verses that if you don't gouge out your eye or cut off your hand, he mentions hell. You're like, wow, is this like, what does this mean? What he's saying is that you will experience hell on earth. He's not talking about anything eternal. He's talking about, about hell on earth. He's talking about the death of relationships. He's talking about atrophy to your soul. He's talking about the erosion of intimacy. And Jesus, though, is calling us to love. Not lust, but to love. Definition of love, the selfless act of the will for the good of another. Notice the difference between love and lust. Lust, immediate self-gratification. Love, selfless act for the will of the good of another. Notice I didn't say really warm, fuzzy feelings. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not warm, fuzzy feelings that can happen in love. But love is often a choice of laying your life down, serving someone else, sacrificing for someone else. That's why in 1 Corinthians, as the Apostle Paul describes love, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Seeking my own pleasure at the expense of someone else. And so Jesus gives two imperatives to root out lust. Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, throw them away. Now, is Jesus being literal? I mean, is he calling us to self-mutilation here? And, and by the way, the eye makes sense. We've been talking about, and he says don't look and stare and, you know, all that. But what about the hand? I mean, if there was something he was encouraging us to cut off, I'm just saying. 
But he says hand instead. Why? Well, in the same way, in the same way that he's talking about the eyes, the hand can also lead to something. So he's referencing masturbation, self-pleasure. Some of you are like, did he just really say that in church? Some of you have been nervous since I started. Your hands are sweaty. Some of you are like, I'm sitting next to my mom, Aaron. (laughs) I just think that the church is oftentimes too quiet on a very, very important subject. Dallas Willard, author of The Divine Conspiracy, says the mutilated stump could still have a wicked heart. The deeper question always concerns who you are, not what you could do or can do. What would you do if you could? So Jesus is not being literal. He is being hyperbolic. Meaning he's using an extreme example to communicate taking something seriously. He's saying that this is not to be taken lightly because you're playing with fire. So don't play with fire. Instead, deal ruthlessly with the first signs of lust. Not, don't engage in what Dallas Willard calls sin management. But instead, don't put a band-aid on. Look for a surgical knife. For surgical removal. This is all-out war. And it's a war that the scripture calls the war between the flesh and the spirit. And as followers of Jesus, the goal is to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Now, in our day and age, a lot of what I said here today is pretty old-fashioned. But the reality is, is that following Jesus does not give our desires free reign. Jesus, multiple times throughout the gospel, says, If you want to follow me, pick up your cross And deny yourself. When he says deny yourself, what is he saying? Deny the desire that says go your own way. And so gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, means wise boundaries matter. It means maybe for some of you, you need to put an internet filter on your computer. It maybe means for some of you that you need to You need to delete a number out of your phone, or maybe more than one. The number that you know is not good for you because of where it could lead. Some of you need to get a flip phone. You need to, like, go 2,000 on it, you know? Some of you need to stop watching your show on Netflix That has pornographic scenes in it. You're not going to a porn site, but you're going to Netflix and watching porn in your show. Some of you need to stop reading some romantic novels that are exceptionally graphic. Some of you need to change where you go. Some of you need to move out if you're living together and you're not married. 
Some of you, maybe if you're married and this is an issue that's going on in your marriage, you need to go to marriage counseling. Others of you, married or not married, need to see an addiction therapist. Why? Because it's all out war. It's an all out war on something that is not messing around. Evil is not messing around in this area of life. I was reading recently about the Australian rancher who has livestock, and and oftentimes they find themselves with livestock on hundreds of thousands of acres. And it would be financially and time wise, not feasible to build a fence around their hundreds of thousands of acres in order to keep their livestock where they're supposed to be and not wander into somebody else's land. So instead of building fences, they dig wells. Because here they are, it's dry, the food is not all that prevalent, and that's why they need so much space. And so they dig wells Because the animals will stay close to the water. They'll stay close to that which keeps them alive and brings them life. It's important to talk about and and have boundaries and fences in our lives. But it's not just about fences. It needs to be about a more powerful good. A deeper satisfaction. Which, by the way, if I can just say this as an aside, I think church should be more known for their wells than they are their fences. Jesus is the well of life. He is the living water, the bread of life. So don't just run from temptation, though that's important. Run to Jesus, the sustainer of our lives. In 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 22, Paul writes, he says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Notice how he says, with those. It is impossible to overcome evil by willpower alone. And it is not an individual thing. We need each other, and we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need the strength of the community of God. Now, for some of you here today, you're in a place where you've tried. You've tried on your own. You've tried on your own to save yourself overcome addiction, lead your own way, do whatever you want. And you're realizing not only that maybe you can't overcome it, or two, that doing whatever you want doesn't lead to the satisfaction that you thought it might. The way of Jesus leads to the flourishing and the depth of satisfaction that we all long for. And so for some of you, this message is an invitation. It's an invitation to come home to Jesus, to say yes to Him, 
to surrender your life. And to surrender your life means that you make him Lord. He's the one who has the ability to say, this is where you go or this is where you don't. He has authority in our lives. If that's you here today, it's a simple prayer, it's a simple step to begin that ongoing relationship. And it's simply, Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, you can just say that sincerely under your breath, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the only thing that we need to say to God. This amazing first thing to say to God of to surrender and ultimately surrender our will to His will and His way. For some of you here today, there's a an element of the Holy Spirit working in your heart that sounds like conviction. Wow, I, I need to change some things. I need to I need to shift the, some things. I need to bring some things out of the darkness into the light. If that's you, condemnation or, excuse me, conviction, sometimes we mistake it as condemnation, but it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to health and healing. For others, maybe surrounding this subject of sex, is, is covered with shame. And you find yourself thinking about the things you've done. Shame is a soul-eating emotion. But the beautiful thing is, is that shame does not have the last word in the kingdom of God. Freedom and healing has the last word in the kingdom of God. Shame grows in the dark. And so it's important that we bring those realities out of the dark into the light, into a group with others. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I need to get into a group. I need to find a counselor. If you need some help as far as a next step, you can just write that on your connection card. We'd be happy to get in touch with you. We'll help you with uh, good counselors that will help in this direction. Uh, City Group, we have Celebrate Recovery, which is a great option. There's lots of different options, and we'd be happy to help you with your next step in that. You can write it on your connection card, drop it into the bucket on your way out. For others of you, maybe to talk about some of these things brings up some past trauma. It's a trigger. And that's a reality, not something you chose to do, but something that somebody forced on you. God can bring healing. My prayer is that today the love of God would wash over you. To know God's love and value of you, even if somebody else didn't value you. The reality is, is we all need healing. We all have disordered desires in some form or another. And then not until Jesus comes back will all of our desires be put in the right order. 
so the goal is that we would come honestly and openly towards God. Link arms with others to find the flourishing, the healing, the hope that God offers to us. I want to encourage each one of us this week to think about and maybe ponder the question, what in my life, what, what I needs to be gouged out? It's easy to think, oh, that person and this person, but what about you? Is there an area of your life that has that you're like, oh, it's okay if I do this, or it's not that big of a deal, but you're not being ruthless with that which could produce pretty destructive fruit. I'm going to encourage all of us to sit with that this week. Together, I want us all to take a step, and that is of taking communion together. As you walked in here today, you should have received a communion cup. If you somehow missed that, it's no problem. If you want to, would, just raise your hand. One of the hosts, somebody from our host team will uh, notice your hand and make sure that you get a communion cup. At Mill City, we practice what we call open communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to encourage you to participate because taking communion is not about a membership in one particular church, but about belonging to the family of God. And so even if just a moment ago you said yes to Jesus, we would love for you to participate with us. If you choose not to participate with us today, it's no problem. You can just engage with where we're at and allow God to search and know you. The scripture also says that before we take communion that we're to examine ourselves. And so like I mentioned, I want to I wanna encourage you to examine yourself throughout this week, but together... We want to take a moment for confession. We're going to pray a prayer together. And the reason we want to pray together is because it reminds us that we all have the same need for the same grace. That the ground at the the foot of the cross is level. There is not one of us in here that needs the grace of God more or less than anyone else. We all are in need of healing. We all need rescue. We all need forgiveness. We all need to be put back together again. We all need hope. And so this prayer of confession is going to come up on the screen. And so if we can, let's pray this together. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. The scripture says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread. You just need to peel off the top layer of the cup and then 
who have access to the bread. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the juice together and I'll pray. Father, we need you. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your healing. We need your freedom. God, I pray that we would be able to receive your forgiveness. I pray that we would be able to live in wholeness in the ways that we have been broken apart or see others or see ourselves in a way that isn't the way that you designed. God, I pray that you would reorder that which has been disordered. God, I pray that you would help us to deny ourselves pick up our cross, follow you. And so we thank you for what you did to defeat death and overcome the power of sin on the cross. And we also thank you for the empowering work and ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit of God, would you help us to starve the flesh and to feed the Spirit and to be and do and live into the reality of who you made us to be. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen.